Let's read together Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts, and to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the inspired sacred scripture. The text for the sermon is verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when God saves us by the blood of Jesus Christ and takes us into his covenant of grace, God speaks to us. He even speaks to us through the Psalms, his word. And he does that this morning. And in the covenant of grace, we speak to God. 
We speak to him through the Psalms as we sing them to him, and we do that this morning. And in the covenant of grace, we speak to one another, and we even do that through the Psalms, so that as Paul taught the Ephesians and the Colossians, we admonish and exhort one another with singing. But in the covenant, God not only speaks to us, and we to God, and we to one another, but we also speak to ourselves. We address our own soul and exhort ourselves to bless the name of the Lord. That's what we have in the text here this morning. The psalmist David is speaking to himself. We have an antithetical parallel to this text in the New Testament. This text here is probably the outstanding example in the Old Testament of a man who talked to himself, but we have something similar in the New Testament, probably the outstanding example is, and this is a fitting word on Thanksgiving morning, it's found in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 16, Jesus' parable of a rich man, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The antithetical parallel to the text. Parallel because in both passages, a man is addressing his own soul. But antithetical because in Luke chapter 12, the man addresses his own soul and says, Soul, you've done very well. May your name be blessed. But what we have in the Psalm of David this morning is the psalmist addressing his own soul, talking to himself, saying, Soul, bless the Lord. And that's the word of God to us on this Thanksgiving morning as we celebrate all of God's goodness to us. And historically, as the church commemorates God's goodness in another year of harvest, and all the bounties of the earth taken in, and all the goodness of God, let's exhort ourselves with David and say, bless the Lord, O my soul. So we consider this morning Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Let's take as our theme, exhorting myself to bless Jehovah. Notice first the meaning of this, second, the importance of this, and third, the activity of this. To understand the meaning of the text, we have three main concepts we need to look at. First of all, the object that we bless. Second, the blessing of that object. And third, the source of the blessing of the object. So we begin with the object that we bless, and that is, of course, our God. And the text teaches us three things about our God. Number one, He is the Lord, that is, Jehovah, 
the God of the covenant, so that we say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. The Lord is Jehovah. Jehovah is God. The only God, the creator God, the covenant God, who incorporates his elect people through Jesus Christ into his covenant. And in that covenant, he makes promises to us saying, I love you and I will always love you. I will always care for you, protect you, provide for you, preserve you. And one day I'll glorify you and take you to live with me forever in the heights of heaven. And because he is the Lord, I am that I am, the God who never changes, his promise never fails. There is none like the Lord. Secondly, the text teaches us about our God that his name is holy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. To be holy is to be separated from everything else and separated for some special use. So that if you go into the Old Testament and take, let's say, the furniture of the tabernacle, that furniture, furniture was holy. Take, for example, the table of showbread. That table was holy, meaning it was separated from all other tables for the special use of worship in the house of the Lord. Now we have the name of Jehovah. It is holy. So if you take all names, every name that's ever been named, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Seth, the names of their wives, whatever they were, the names of all of their children, and you keep going all the way down through history, name every name ever named, names of the reprobate, names of the elect, names of angels like Gabriel and Michael and Satan and Lucifer, take every, every name, my name, your name, every name ever been named, and put them all together, now you take the name Jehovah, the name whereby God reveals himself in his covenant, take that name, and because it's holy, it's not only separated from everything sinful, it's separated from everything and everyone, and set apart for special use, the use of worship. So that even the angels fall down and say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, his name is holy and worthy of worship. Holy name. The third thing the text tells us about our God, number one, he's Lord, and you'll find that all through the scriptures. Number two, his name is holy, and you'll find that all through the scriptures. Now, especially this in the third place, he's the great benefactor, the God of benefits, so that we read in the text in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. God is the God of benefits. So many benefits. And the psalmist begins to string some of them out. Giving glory to the God of the benefits. So that verse 3 continues, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. There's number one. The benefit before all others. If you do not have forgiveness, 
If you live impenitently in sin and the heavy hand of God is upon you, it doesn't matter. You may live in the White House. You may be the king of Israel as David was. You may have all things before you on a Thanksgiving day. You're miserable. If you do not have forgiveness, you are miserable. If you have forgiveness so that God pardons all your iniquities for the sake of Jesus Christ, then you have the greatest of all benefits who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. He keeps stringing out these benefits. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crown, you have a crown. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. Who satisfy, isn't this true? Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. One benefit after another. Benefits in the soul. Benefits in the body. Benefits in this life. Benefits at home. Benefits at church. Benefits at school. Benefits at work. Benefits everywhere from beginning to the end of the Bible. So many benefits that God gives to us. And they're all concentrated in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who forgiveth for Jesus' sake. Who healeth for Jesus' sake. Who redeemeth for Jesus' sake. And all the way down the line. Everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you belong to Jesus Christ by true and living faith. And everything God does is a benefit for you. That's the teaching of the text and the word benefit. The word benefit literally means doing, activity, action. Forget not all his doings. And everything God does is a benefit to his people for Jesus' sake. If God smites you so that you howl and writhe in pain... That's his benefit for you. If God takes you and lifts you up and exalts you above your brethren, that's his benefit for you. If God makes your way crooked, very, very, very dark and perplexing, so that you throw up your hands and say, Why, O God, thy way is in the sea, O God, through mighty waters deep and broad, None understood but God alone. To man thy footsteps were unknown. Why, O oh God? That way, that's his benefit for you. If God makes your way smooth and straight and fills it with all kinds of good things that feel so good and pleasant, that's his benefit to you. If God puts a man in your path who curses you, despises you, throws stones at you like Shimei did David, that's God's benefit for you. If God puts a man in your path who blesses you and favors you, that's his benefit for you. If you gather around a table and God drops little morsels, little crumbs of bread upon your table, that's all you get today. Little, little bits of bread, not some big bird, maybe a raven or two, dropping little crumbs of bread. That's his benefit for you. If God sets a feast before you with a big bird or with steak and lobster and all of the rest, that's his benefit for you. Everything God does, everything God does for his people in Jesus Christ is a benefit. Nothing God does to his people is to harm his church. 
benefits. Forget not all His benefits. All for the sake of Christ, whom God gave. And in Jesus Christ, we are reconciled unto God. We are right with God. Our sins are covered before God. And therefore, everything God does is a benefit to His people. Lord, whose name is holy, God of benefits, that's the object, the one that we bless. Now the second main concept to understand the meaning of the text is David saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In order to understand what it means to bless the Lord, it would be good for us to look for just a moment at the opposite and what it means to curse. To curse is to speak against, to desire, and to pursue one's destruction. And God does that. He curses. You want to think about something terrifying this morning. Proverbs 3, verse 33 says that the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. And you think about all the homes of the wicked and go into one of those homes today on a national Thanksgiving day and in that home God is there and He's speaking against and He's desiring and He's pursuing the destruction of His enemies in that house, young and old alike. You want to think about something terrifying, at the same time so reassuring, you think of the cross and stand under the shadow of the cross where the Son of God was nailed and God spoke against him. His word of condemnation and God brought destruction upon him. What a terrifying thought. And yet at the same time, therein lies the whole of our salvation. God curses and man curses, man curses God, speaks against him, and how vain it is, seeks to destroy God, but God sits in the heavens and he laughs man to scorn, he will have him in derision to curse. This text uses the word bless, and God does that too, he blesses. That's where it all began this morning. Grace and mercy and peace be granted unto you from God the Father and through the Lord Jesus Christ by the operation of the Holy Spirit. To bless is to speak well of and to desire and to pursue one's advantage, one's welfare, one's benefit. And God blessed us this morning. God blesses for Jesus' sake. And now the psalmist David is exhorting himself to bless God, to speak well of God. And that speaking well of God is the verbal expression of the desire of our heart that God be praised. We can't add to God. We can't enhance God. We can't advantage God in any way. But when we bless Him, speaking well of Him, we're expressing our desire that His name be worshipped and extolled and magnified and that thanksgiving be to Him. Bless 
the Lord. The word blessed literally means to kneel. The very best way to bless the Lord is to kneel down before him and say, I do not. I do not. And neither does any man deserve any praise and any glory. But unto thee, O God, be all of the glory now and forevermore. Bless his most holy name. And the third thing to understand, to grasp the meaning of the text is the source. Not, not the ultimate source, we'll come to that. But the source of the blessing of the name of the Lord. And it is the soul. So that David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And now he's referring to his whole internal spiritual life. And that's made plain when he goes on to say, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, of course, we bless, we give praise to God in the body, in everything we do in the body. The Israelite brings his sheep. He brings a handful of shekels unto the temple to bless the name of the Lord in our preaching, reading, studying, praying, singing, parenting, working, working in the consistory room, working on the school board, in all our service, in all the things we do, we give praise to and bless the name of the Lord. But David goes deeper than what's done visibly and externally in the body in all kinds of actions. For David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Because what if all the worship and the service and the working is hypocrisy? It's but an outward show and nothing but vain religion. And David knows that's a perennial threat for every believer, for me, for you, for everyone in First Protestant Reformed Church, for every member of the Protestant Reformed Churches, for every child of God in every true church the world over, and for every child of God going all the way back to David, and before David going all the way back to Adam and Eve the moment they fell. The great threat and danger and temptation is that we will go into God's house to worship Him, but our soul does not soar into the heavens, but it cleaves unto the dust. Our spirit does not break over our own sins. Our heart does not consciously believe and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would fold our hands and close our eyes and pray, but our mind is at work or on vacation or at the football game or thinking about the new article of clothing we just bought, that we would stand up and sing, but there's no affection in the heart for the God who is the God of our salvation, but it's only a listening to the beauty of the sound of the music. That we would go to work and have no delight in the Lord and no gratitude within for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or that even worse, that someone would curse the name of God, that would get drunk at a party and curse and swear, and on Saturday mistreat someone in his own household and slander the name of a brother or sister in the church, 
and then come to church on Sunday morning wearing a dress or a shirt and tie and sit down as a good worshiper when it's all hypocrisy, an outward show, vain religion, how often did not God say to Israel, you draw nigh unto me with your lips, but your heart, where is it? It is far from me. That's always the great danger and threat for David himself, the man after God's own heart, so that David does not exhort himself saying, bless the Lord, O my tongue, O my mouth, and all that I am in my body. But David goes all the way down to the soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, because God commands more than bullocks and sheep and rams and goats and shekels and worship and reading and singing and praying and working and parenting and all the acts of Christian hospitality and acts of worship, God commands the soul. And so David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me so that nothing is excluded. Nothing. Say David has 20,000 soldiers. And he says, come to battle, O my soldiers. And all my soldiers come to battle now. And 19,999 of them come. And David says, stop. He will not go to war. Where is he? We're missing one. Is he still at home? Come to battle, O oh my soldiers, and every single soldier in my battle, in my army, come to battle now. So says David to his own soul, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all and every single thing within me, every single thought, every single desire, every single affection, every single imagination, and all that is within me, and all that is within me, not one lust, not one desire for revenge is permitted. No admixture of unbelief and doubt and fear Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. That's David's personal exhortation to himself. Now this is a very important exhortation as is indicated not only by the words of the text, but especially by the form of the text. The text uses parallelism. So that in verse 1, we have a statement, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then we have the exact same statement, though in different words. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. In verse 2, we have parallelism. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then the same statement in different words, and forget not all his benefits. Not only is there parallelism in one and parallelism in two, but one and two themselves are parallel, so that every 
statement in the text is parallel to every other statement. Really, the text is saying the same thing. Four different ways. Four statements. If you say something four different times, that really underscores how important this is. Let's give three reasons why this exhortation is so important. Number one, ingratitude. We are always tempted to forget God, and forgetting Him, we fail to thank Him. In fact, that's such a great temptation that David explicitly mentions it in the text in verse 2 when he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. We're tempted to forget Him. Prosperity can be so dangerous. After that long period of the judges, when the tribes were constantly bickering and warring one with another, David comes, and, and by God, through the work of David, the tribes of the Lord are united, and they go together up Mount Zion, and the ark goes up Mount Zion, and the tabernacle is pitched on Mount Zion, and they all gather atop Mount Zion, and no one is hunting David and chasing him to seek his life, and the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Jebusites are subdued, and the golden grains are out in the fields ready for harvest, and the, the barns are bursting, the storehouses. There's so much prosperity in Israel. That's dangerous because the inclination of Israel is to forget God for who needs God when we have everything. When there's a preacher on every pulpit and not one vacancy. When there's only one consistory meeting a month and it's pretty short and routine. When the classical and the synodical agenda are pretty short. When the church visitors have basically no work to speak of. When all the reports coming back from family visitation are, well, of course, stray soul over here and a stray soul over there. But by and large, God's people are happy. There's sound doctrine, purity of worship. People are living together in peace and unity. God's people are thriving. When the barns are bursting and there's so much, so many good material things, when there's so much prosperity, the temptation is to forget God because who needs God when you have everything? Forgetting God, we fail to thank Him for all His benefits. And isn't that awful? Ingratitude is so wicked. Sometimes we can be such thankless wretches having so many good things, but we fail to see them or we don't even want to see them and thank God for them. Ingratitude is wicked. I don't forget myself. You don't forget yourself. We never forget ourselves. Have you ever heard of a bride who forgets to buy a wedding dress? That she prepares for her wedding eight months and the morning of her wedding she says, it just dawned on me. I never bought a dress. 
I've never heard of that. Neither has God. Jeremiah 2, verse 32. Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? No, because we don't forget ourselves. Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. The Lord, whose name is holy, God of all benefits, too often we forget him. And forgetting him, we fail to thank him. And therefore, it's so important that the Holy Spirit move us as he moved David to exhort ourselves to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and thank him. Reason number two is pride. Because we're tempted to rewrite the text and say, Bless me, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless my holy name. Bless me, O my soul, and forget not all my goodness. Soul, you've done so well. Look at your family, all your children, all your grandchildren in the church, because you've been so faithful. You're an Israelite and not a Philistine. You're reformed. And not Roman Catholic, because you have made so many good decisions. Soul, look at your barns. You need to tear them down and build bigger because you've labored so industriously and you're so creative in all of your ingenuity. Look at what you've done. Now take thy knees and eat, drink, and be merry. Look at all the good things you've done for other people. Soul, you've done so many good works of worship. And Christian hospitality, that God would be unjust if He did not justify you and give you the highest seat in heaven because of everything you've done. Now take thine ease and eat and drink and be merry. Well done, soul. That same pride that dominated in that rich man of Luke chapter 12 can be found in David's heart, in my heart, in your heart, and pride is abominable. Even the slightest inclination within toward a haughty spirit before God, Jehovah, holy name, God of all benefits. How detestable is pride. And so it's so important that the Spirit move us to exhort ourselves as David did and to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless His holy name. And third, there's unbelief. And that makes this exhortation important. Unbelief. First of all, there's unbelief all around. So that the Israelites stand on Mount Zion and all those unbelieving Philistines out there and all those Canaanites and everywhere you look, unbelievers. And the same thing is true for God's church today. And for us right now, 
Everywhere you look around us in the world, there are unbelievers, and God gives the same good things to unbelievers, the same sunshine, the same rain, the same health, often better health, the same material prosperity, often more prosperity, and the unbeliever will not give God thanks and bless His name. And the unbeliever reveals the perversity of his wicked heart and that he receives from God, but will not give God thanks. And now here is David, and here are you and me, and we're in God's covenant. We bear his name. We must be a witness of God in this world of unbelief. And therefore, it's so important that we exhort ourselves with David and say, though they might not and never will, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name today. But there's not only unbelief out there, there's unbelief in the church. There's always unbelief in Israel, in the visible church. There's always carnal seed mixed in with the spiritual seed, tares in the wheat field. They're not all Israel, which are of Israel. There are unbelievers in the church. Now they live in hypocrisy until the day God exposes them in their confession or in their walk of life. But the reality that there are unbelievers right within the walls of Jerusalem makes it so important that the Spirit moved David to exhort himself to say, though they never will, at least they don't right now, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me bless His holy name. But there's not only unbelief out there, and there's not only unbelief in here, there's unbelief in David, in his own soul, and in my soul, and in your soul. David is a believer, that's his identity. He's not an unbeliever. And that's true for me, and that's true for you, child of God. We are believers, that's our identity. We are not unbelievers. But though we with David are believers, we still have this sinful flesh that yet cleaves to us until the day we die, and it is thoroughly corrupt, and that flesh is teeming with unbelief. And it may happen that in the life of the child of God who has to his identity as a believer, as David was, that his sinful flesh exerts such an influence upon him that for a time, the believer walks in unbelief. And then that comes to expression. For example, in that bitterness, that anger with God, that complaining against God and that commiserating with one's own soul and saying, soul, you have it so bad and everybody has it better than you do. And going to God with those complaints, why, oh God, have you made my way so miserable complaining against God? Why is there a complaint against God? That's unbelief. Here, 
very clear. God says, all I do, I do well. And all I do is a benefit for you whom I love in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. And there may be a time in David's life or my life or your life where right now I don't hold that for truth. I don't believe that. And so I get very bitter with God. That's unbelief. And it's the reality of that unbelief even in David's own soul that makes it so important that the Spirit move David to exhort himself to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Ingratitude, pride, unbelief. In conclusion, this morning, our activity in this text is to exhort ourselves to bless the Lord. Now notice three things about this activity. First of all, it is a personal activity. That's really the striking, fascinating, beautiful revelation of this passage of Scripture. It contains a personal exhortation to self. And we, we give many different exhortations. The minister will exhort the congregation, congregation, bless the Lord. Today's Thanksgiving Day. Congregation, bless the name of the Lord today. And the elders do that on family visitation. And the teacher does that in the schoolroom. And the parents do that in the home. And today, when you get home, the head of the home will say, now, everyone here, let us bless the name of the Lord. But before we ever exhort anyone anywhere to bless the name of the Lord, we first talk to soul and exhort ourselves saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. So that when I wake up in the morning, bless the Lord, O my soul, and bless Him. When you retire in the evening, you say to yourself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and then bless Him. And when you're tempted to sin, tempted to look at what you ought never lay your eyes upon, tempted to touch what you ought not touch, tempted to say what you ought never say when you're tempted and you say, soul, bless the name of the Lord. I will not look. I will not touch. I will not say it. I will bless the name of the Lord. A personal exhortation. Secondly, about this activity, notice that it's performed most effectively with singing. This is a psalm. This is a song that was written by David for the public worship of God's name in the tabernacle. The best place to exhort yourself to bless the name of the Lord is when the congregation is assembled for worship 
and we take out the Psalms of Zion and we sing them. And it's in singing together that we say, is not my God so great and glorious? Now, soul, bless Him. The Spirit uses music. Music is very powerful. Powerful for, for evil, powerful for good. The Spirit uses music to draw out of the soul the blessing of the name of the Lord. So David writes this song. And then woe be to that man or woman who chooses to live outside of Zion and will not sing with God's people. It's in singing, especially in singing, that we exhort ourselves. Third and finally this morning, now about this activity, consider the source of it, the ultimate source of it, which is not David's soul, but is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's one thing to say, bless the Lord, O my soul. And that, that's a wonder of grace. But it's another thing actually to bless Him. That's a wonder of grace. How could it possibly be that a man would have a soul which is by nature so very dark and hard and full of spite and anger and hatred for God? How could it be that anyone, including David, could ever have a soul that is consecrated unto the living God and desires to bless Him? The answer to that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does not the text come to its climax in his soul? Is not he the David, the king, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ? And he lived his whole life saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, exhorting himself. When the devil took him up on that high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, kneel, the word bless in the text, it literally means kneel. And Satan said, kneel, and it's all yours. Before Jesus ever opened his mouth to rebuke Satan, you can be sure he spoke to himself first. And he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And when later they spit upon him and they buffeted him, they took those big spikes and they pounded them through his flesh into the tree of the cross. And all that passed by did wag their head and mock him and scorn him as he was hanging there, the servant of Jehovah. He exhorted himself. When he was silent, he was exhorting himself. Even now, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then, when at the very end, in the darkness, God took all the vials of his wrath, and he started pouring out the fullness of all that wrath upon his son. Wrath that I deserve, and you deserve, and David deserves, for all of our ingratitude, and all of our pride, and all of our unbelief, and all of our failure to live according to Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, when God took all that wrath, and he poured it out upon his only begotten son on that cross, and Christ experienced the weight of that wrath in his body and soul, so that in his soul, 
in his soul, there was the experience of inexpressible agony, the torments of hell itself. Even there, especially there, and then he kept saying it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And he did. He blessed him all the way to the end. Jesus, our head, and we the body united to him, with David too, now, For all our sin against this text, there's a covering in Jesus. And in Jesus, there is his spirit whom he gives to us right within us in the depths of the soul, his spirit. By that spirit now, we are able to exhort ourselves and to leave this place of worship on this Thanksgiving day, older and the younger ones too, to leave this house of worship saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, bind thy word to our hearts. And cause that word to bring forth abundantly. So that we do leave. Exhorting our own soul. Grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.